a big change for them when I tell them, you know, start networking, use the people you know from the past because one person knows six people and six people know six people and that's how you can reach people as much as you can and you need to let them know that you're looking for a job. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Angelina, welcome to the show. Hi, Max. Thank you very much for having me. I know you are not in Canada right now, but are you going to be celebrating Canada Day tomorrow? Absolutely. My friend said you should have maple syrup and pancakes tomorrow morning for breakfast. So definitely, yeah, after 15 years in Canada, I'd feel more Canadian than French. It always surprises people, but definitely Canadian at heart. So where are you currently residing? You said Spain, right? Last time I talked to you? Yeah, exactly. After the pandemic, you know, so many things change and no one really cares if you're physically in front of people. So. I do support all of my clients based from Spain right now. Oh, so is this like a temporary thing or are you, so are you eventually coming back to Canada or are you going to stay there for a little while? Well, my family is in France, so it makes things a little bit easier after spending 15 years abroad, but I plan to go back to Toronto very often because the business is there. My clients are there, my partners are there and my friends are there. So definitely my heart is between Europe and North America. So how long have you lived in Toronto? I stayed in Toronto for 15 years. So I went through the entire process as an immigrant. Yeah, that's what I actually wanted to get into, right? So before that, where were you residing? Was it in France before you moved? Yes. Okay. So you worked in France for a bit and then you ended up moving to Toronto and you worked there and built your career there for 15 years. Exactly. So I was in France, did my master's degree in HR management with a background in organizational psychology. And after my master's degree, I've always wanted to live in Canada. So I went to Canada with a holiday work permit, and then I went through the entire immigration process, another type of visa, and then a little bit of issues with my visa, and then the permanent residency, and then the citizenship. And why did you want to come to Canada to build a career and life here? Since I was a kid, I wanted to speak English. When I was a teenager, my dad wanted to immigrate to Canada. So I think in my head, I was supposed to live in Canada, and then I built up this kind of dream of moving to Canada. And I went to Toronto during one summer because I wanted to go to school to improve my English. And I just fell in love with the city. It's like very multicultural. You are exposed to so many different cultures. And that was super rich. And I just loved the vibe. At the time, it was like a big city, but not the energy of a big city at the same time. It was like a mix of, I don't know, I just love Toronto. (laughs) It's funny how you said you want to go to Toronto, but not Quebec or Montreal, because they, they speak French there. I know that France French is different than Quebec French. Is it because you want to challenge yourself in a dominant English-speaking area instead of just going playing it safe and going to like Quebec, where, yes, the language of French might be a bit different, but you'd be able to acclimate yourself fairly quickly? That's a very good question. And a lot of people who immigrate to Canada, they ask themselves that question. But for me, it was very important to go to Toronto because I thought if I was going to Montreal... I was just going 6,000 kilometers away from my place, being surrounded by actually a lot of French people because a lot of French people immigrate to Montreal. And I didn't see the value from me. I didn't think I was going to be outside of my comfort zone that much. And I wanted to grow. And I think I had an opportunity for my career to be bilingual in Toronto more than in Montreal. 
Yeah, and if you're bilingual in Canada, you have way more job opportunities, right? Because a lot of the big corporate companies, telecom, banking, insurance, they always say in the job ad, bilingualism is an asset. So if you know both national languages, then you're definitely more marketable, right? That's what they say. But let me tell you, when I moved 15 years ago, <laughs> my English was not as good as now. It was definitely a learning process. I found a job very quickly, and we can talk about that, how I apply this process and help people to to accelerate the job search process. But let me tell you, my first three months, every night I was in bed at 8 p.m. I was exhausted to speak English all day long. It was very, very tiring. Yeah, and to move to the main point of our discussion today in terms of helping new immigrants land jobs in Canada or North America, because I've worked with American clients as well, and it is very similar from a networking job search perspective. So mm -hmm. how did you decide to start this business to help others where you were 15 years ago? Yeah, well, and you probably do the same, but I started helping my friends with their interviews. I started helping my friends when they had performance issues or conflict issues, so employee relation issues. I helped with the resumes. And every time I helped my friends who were able to resolve their problem or they were able to land a job. And at some point, I'm like, it seems like there is a business opportunity here. So I started to advertise my services maybe six years ago. And I thought maybe I'm not going to have the same success once the people I'm going to help are not my friends or as soon as money is going to be involved because maybe the dynamic is going to be different. But I kept being successful with my clients or my clients kept being successful. And then at the time I had a very big job. I was working maybe 50, 60 hours a week. So there was no time for a sole type of job for me. And then after seven years with my last company, my company went through a reorg. There was an opportunity to exit the company. And I thought that was the right moment for me, especially after COVID and all of the things to actually be bold and start my own company to accelerate the job search process for people. And I love it. Like really the reward is absolutely amazing. You, you probably experienced that for your clients as well. Every time they call you and say, hey, I got the job in like two weeks or I got 10 interviews or it's just like their success becomes my success and then it makes me super happy. So you went full throttle during COVID? Yeah, I planted the seeds for the business beginning of 2021. But at the time, I was taking a course with MIT Neuroscience. I was still working freelance for another company, and we were not allowed to travel. But my course and my freelance were going to end in April. And I really started building the company in May 2021. I think we discussed this offline because I actually started career coaching as well during COVID. Because what happened was, obviously, a lot of people got laid off due to COVID. And then there was this a professional I was able to connect with on LinkedIn. He wanted some volunteers to help with people with resume reviews. And as yourself, well, instead of friends, I helped like strangers that signed up. And then I did some resume reviews. And some of them ended up getting new jobs because the jobs that they had before, either they cut their hours or they actually got their offers rescinded. So it's great. Again, like you got people results. I got people results. So I said, okay, maybe I can turn this into a business and help professionals more regularly. Awesome. You know, I think something that people love is helping others just in general, business or not business. It's part of the human being thing to want to do good around themselves. But yeah, 15 years in HR, I had the opportunity to learn a lot in the corporate world. I had the chance to work in talent acquisition, did strategy and talent acquisition, talent development. I worked with leaders and I think I'm using all of this knowledge and all of the conversations I had for 15 years in the corporate world and different industries to actually guide my clients because I know exactly what's in the background, what is behind the curtains 
you know, HR is a little bit like a dark place. People wonder what's going on, what we do. But I'm using all of this to help people to understand what to expect. What does it mean when someone says this? Why do you have to wait two weeks before an answer or three weeks? And what does it like? I'm just giving them a lot of perspective because I have the knowledge of what it means from the inside. I'm like the spy, I guess. Yeah, you have a lot of HR experience. And I know that HR is more than just recruiting and hiring people. So you have all the insider knowledge to really help professionals accelerate their job search process, especially for immigrants that are from another country compared to like Canada, US. And from your experience, you've had these immigrant clients state that the job search process is a lot different than what they had back home. So why don't we dive into the main point of our discussion in terms of like helping immigrants land jobs in North America when an immigrant reaches out to you, what are some of the common struggles that they've have experienced in the job search process here compared to what they had back home? A lot of my clients are from Francophone, they're from Europe or North Africa, and also I have clients from South America as well, and Mexico, Colombian. What happens is first, networking. And you can tell me your experience with networking with your clients. For example, in Europe, networking is not necessarily something that is well perceived. Because people think like, oh, I got the job because I knew this person, this person. And it's like a big change for them when I tell them, you know, start networking, use the people you know from the past, because one person knows six people and six people know six people. And that's how you can reach people as much as you can. And you need to let them know that you're looking for a job and be specific. But also then there's the future people you're going to start meeting and this could be through LinkedIn. This could be through volunteering job work. It could be through meetups. It could be anywhere. But people need to know that you are new to the country, what you are looking for. And then if they hear anything, they can contact you. What I say to my clients when they reach out to people on LinkedIn is not to say, hey, I'm looking for a job. Do you have something for me? Obviously, if someone would stop you in the street and ask you this question, you would probably say, what? <laughs> no, I don't know you from anywhere. And the idea is to build connection. So the best approach would be, hi, either I'm about to move to Canada or I'm already in Canada. I need to understand the Canadian market. I was wondering if you would have like 10, 15 minutes to give me and tell me a little bit more about you, about your job. How did you apply to this company? And just to get information. And it's best if you can do a give like a win-win situation and maybe offer a coffee. I know now people may not go for a coffee with you at Starbucks or Tim Hortons, but if you can still maybe send a gift card, $5 gift card, so people can go and get a coffee and have this conversation with you. I think the idea is just really to build relationship and, you know, use your community as well. So for example, go on some Facebook group. Like I know a lot of French people, they have like French groups and they can support each other. And sometimes, you know, I see job ads from people who work in a placement agency or different companies and they say, hey, we have this job for a bilingual, you have priority, please apply. So I think you can use your community as well and a lot of Facebook groups in general. Is that your experience with your clients as well? Yeah, I worked with someone in India and she told me that the job search process is not as grueling. It is a lot longer too. I knew someone in the Philippines where you apply the job you'll know within a week or two if you got it or not compared to like Canada where it could drag on for like a month, month and a half. So from what I've experienced, the job search process from these other countries, international countries, they're more straightforward compared to the North American market where you do have to jump through a bit of hoops to get to that job. 
That's very true. Then the other thing is the resume. You know, first of all, the legal requirements are very different. So, for example, in France, you are allowed to have your birthday, your picture, your marital status, if you, how many kids you have. But in Canada, legally speaking, you should not have that on your resume. So that's the first step. Then if I look at my clients in France, they do their resume. It's only one page. I think things are evolving a little bit more now and people start having two pages resume. But here in Canada, it's okay to have a two pages resume. The more you can tell, the more you can link your experience with the job description. Again, it's like you need to make sure you speak the same language as the company you're applying or the job you're applying to or for. But there is the resume. How do you build the resume? And I'm sure you do the same. You know, I go online, look for information to see what is the experience when you want to build a resume by yourself and you go on Google and you read everything and nothing and it's grueling. (laughs) And so the idea is to be able to give information to people to let them know exactly what is expected. One simple example is when my clients are still, for example, abroad, they tend to put their address. And this is just, even if you're in Canada, it would not make a lot of sense. It's not very relevant to give your full address. But if you're abroad, what is going to happen is even if you're authorized to work in Canada, people are going to think that you are still abroad and they actually have a pool of talent already here in North America, in Canada or in the US or in the same city. Why would I go and take someone who lives abroad? So the idea is like, do not put your address if you are still abroad and have a Canadian phone number. There are apps for that. The idea is to be able to have someone to reach out to you. WhatsApp's a big one, right? So you can register a Canadian number and then have it converted to the WhatsApp. But then a recruiter will not know that you're abroad, right? So they're going to call regularly. They're not going to call through WhatsApp, right? So how would that work? Actually, it's a real phone number. It's not necessarily through WhatsApp. It gives you a Canadian phone number. I'm not going to advertise this app. But I think nowadays, a lot of recruiters, they actually send emails, especially if they use the applicant tracking system. They're going to send an email that is automatized and sent directly to the candidates that they want to have a pre-screen with. I mean, the idea is to not send the message that you are not in Canada. I think the idea is just to say that you are already in Canada and then to have the conversation. Going back to what you said about resumes in France, you said that people will actually put their birthday and how many kids they have on the resume. Like, What's the purpose of that in France? I have no idea what the pur- It does not make sense to me. I mean, probably not everyone put their kids, but the picture is still there. I don't think we're as advanced as Canada when it comes to discrimination or anti-discrimination laws. I don't see any value. I don't understand why we do that, especially not the birth date. (laughs) And I see a lot of, like, not only friends, but I saw that I did a resume for someone who was going to Dubai. And in Dubai, it's the same. You need to put your birth date. I saw resume from people from different countries in the world. And I think in their country, they also put all of these type of details. I don't see any point, but maybe I became way too Canadian now. I don't know. I'm assuming in France, the resumes are in French, right? So your Francophone clients, do they go to you to write their resume in English because their English isn't as good? No, I think it's because, as we know, writing a resume is painful. (laughs) It requires a lot of time and energy, and they can just hire someone who has a methodology. They know they're going to have a lot of interviews in a very short period of time if they have someone who knows exactly how to do it. You know, they buy a service, but it's not for me to translate 
it's really just for me to have an impactful Canadian resume or North American resume. And then I also work with a proofreader. So I do have someone who review my work to make sure, you know, after spending four or five hours on a resume for a client, that it's perfect and squeezy clean. Okay, so to summarize right now, the two main differences in regards to an immigrant coming uh, to North America to start a new life and continue their career in Canada or the U.S. is the networking portion, because here networking is more prevalent compared to, for example, France. And the other difference is the resume guidelines. A resume in France or Africa is going to be a lot different than a resume that you would submit in Canada, U.S., as we mentioned. In Europe, the photo is more prevalent compared to here. And the other part would be like the birthday and how many kids you have, which I've never seen that on a Canadian resume. So that was actually very interesting to note. But then I would say also the Canadian standards in the corporate world, I think an adaptation, I always laugh about it. And I say when I moved to Canada, I was tamed because I think French people, for example, are there different type of cultures. We can be very direct French people. They say what they think. It is what it is. It's yes, it's no, done. And there, But I think in Canada, the way we communicate is we are more positive in a sense that, you know, first we're going to talk about the good things and then we're going to provide feedback. But a French person who has just arrived may have to adapt the communication skills. And I say France, but it could be, you know, I work with people from India as well. They also have to adapt because the culture is different. They do business differently. There are actually two people very well known in studying cultural differences. Their names are Trumpenara and House Tede, I believe. And they talk a lot about, you know, how do you conduct business when you work globally? And it's actually the same for a newcomer in any new country, you know, if you go, for example, to the US, I know it's our neighbors, but they don't do business the same way. For example, if you have an agreement, a business agreement, you just need to shake your hand, like someone's hand. And that means business has been agreed upon. But you would not do that in Canada. You would sign a very complex agreement. The other thing I would say for any newcomers, the interview, you know, I think in Canada, we do have in North America, in the US, we tend to have a structured way of interviewing people and we expect a certain way people to give us the answer. There is the STAR method that we both know very well. And for people who don't know, STAR method is the situation, task, action, result. But I think in other countries, it's just a conversation. And if the conversation goes well, you're hired. <laughs> and so I think that's one of the big things. But also for anyone who comes, you know, to a new country, the English may not be their first language, and it's an extra layer of stress. And going to an interview is already stressful. So how do you prepare to have as much control as you can? So you really try to put all the chances with you to be successful during the interview process. Yeah, so in other countries, it's more of a conversation. So it's not even structured questions like, tell me about time when yes. whatever, right? So they don't ask those types of questions. It's more conversational compared to here where they have a certain structure and there's a store format in France or India or the other countries you worked with, it's more of a conversation, like knowing more about the person. Yes, they want to see if they can actually do the job. So there's some experience questions, but it's not as structured or formal as here. I have a lot of my friends in France who are HR professionals as well. Of course, as you said, they still need to ask questions about the skills, but there is a more personal touch to it. But it's just very interesting. It's just like if you're a newcomer, just make sure you prepare yourself 
I'm assuming when you do mock interviews with your clients, you also go through, you know, the STAR method, you prepare them for behavioral questions. I mean, I read all of your beautiful posts on LinkedIn. So I know we are aligned on how we approach these challenges for candidates just in general. But when you rehearse, when you're able to do the introspection about all of your experiences, then it's easier to talk about what you can bring to the table with confidence, but not being arrogant. And I think it's where we actually help our clients to find the right balance to talk about themselves, what they can achieve or what they have achieved and what they will be achieving, but in a humble way, because in Canada, we're humble a little bit. All right. So we pinpointed the main difference in terms of like interviewing here and then interviewing if you're from an international background. So what is some advice for people to prepare for their interviews properly? Do you think a mock interview would really help accelerate their success like if they're trying to figure it out on their own? Absolutely. I've seen my success rate being at 90% with my clients. And they all tell me it's because they feel confident. The exercise of preparing the questions before the mock interview and doing all of this exercise to realize what they have accomplished. And I think it's probably, tell me, it's the same for you, but the candidates or my clients, they tell me, I know what I do. <laughs> and so they don't have to think about how they do it. It's automatic. So they don't know how to talk about it. And once you start speaking about it, it becomes more real. Do you have the same feedback from your clients? Yeah, same feedback. Yeah, for sure. Especially my international ones. It really speeds up the learning curve. So a lot of international professionals, they come in, they think it's the same, and then they're struggling to get interviews and they bomb the interviews too, right? However, if you do get someone who knows the Canadian market, they can really ramp up your resume and your interview skills fairly quickly. Because again, like you said, they know what they do. They don't know how to communicate it in the North American format. Exactly. When you're a newcomer, there are a lot of changes. You have to adapt to so many things in your personal life and your professional life. And so what I see is if people don't use people like you and I for a mock interview, their process is longer because they go to five, six, seven interviews and they have all of these interviews to actually learn from their mistakes to adjust for the next interview. And so it's a matter of knowing what is your personal strategy? Are you in a rush? Are you not in a rush? But when you're a newcomer, what happens is work brings security. It brings security because you are going to earn money, you're going to earn a salary, and you're going to be able to pay your bills. As you know, you're in the GTA, Toronto or Vancouver, and even now Montreal are very expensive cities. And so it's a matter of feeling secured and working is one of the most important thing when you come to a new country because it shows that you can integrate. It means you can have a social life. It means you can maybe support your family as well. So I think it's maybe an investment to work with people like you and I, but it's a real return on investment because, you know, when I see my clients, they get hired in less than four weeks. Well, it means maybe if you had not worked with Max or Angelina, it would have taken three months to get a job. And so you would have lost like two months of salary. Yeah, that's, so. that's a good way to put it, right? Because like, <laughs> yeah, like let's say your coaching programs, let's say it's a thousand or two thousand bucks. Well, that's a lot of money. Yes. But if the average salary is, let's say, 5K a month and you're out of a job for three months, then you've actually lost $15,000 if you want to put it that way. And the other thing that you mentioned is that Yes, they might take longer to fix their mistakes because they have to go through the trial and error. But the thing is, as you are aware, a lot of these companies don't give 
really good constructive feedback. They usually say, oh, we went with someone more experienced, but that doesn't really tell them much, right? So it's hard to fix your mistakes if you don't know what you're doing wrong, right? That's very true. But the reality, you are very rarely going to get feedback from the HR professional or leader. The risks are real to be sued. (laughs) You know, if people misinterpret what has been said, or if someone is not cautious the way they say things, it could be perceived as discrimination, even if it's not. And so, yeah, you're right. They would probably not get any feedback. And also because when you think about it, if you're a recruiter, you have 15 roles. Let's say you had five very good candidates for each role. You're at like, how many, like 75 candidates. You don't have the time to provide 50, 60 or 70 feedback. It would be nice. And then you want to make sure you pay attention to the candidate experience. But at that stage, it's not really your role anymore. And I mean, candidates could ask. And if they get a feedback, that's great. But I don't think they're going to get it. Again, the recruiter, the hiring manager are not working for you to get the job. They're working for the company to fill a position. So yes, even for me, when I did job searching as a new grad, I did get feedback maybe once or twice. But again, it's not expected. As you said before, the feedback could be taken the wrong way and it could open the company to litigation. And the other aspect is, again, these recruiters are very busy. If they're filling multiple roles at one time, which they tend to be, they just don't have time to get back to everyone, right? Yeah, but you know, to give some advice to people is be resilient. I know it sounds very stupid, but looking for a job is draining. You go through the emotional roller coaster and the idea is like, okay, maybe it didn't work for you for this job but be ready for the next opportunity. What happens is like you have to deal with the rejection. If you don't get a job or if you're not called, I have people calling me saying, Angelina, I applied to a hundred jobs. I don't get a call. I had two interviews and I'm like, it breaks my heart. But then it's either the strategy is wrong, the resume may be wrong. So what do we do to change that? What is the tool that you don't have? What is missing for you to actually go to the next round? And if you surround yourself with the right people and you have the right tools and the right information, the right knowledge, that's going to help you. So either you work with a professional that's going to help you or you spend a lot of time finding the right information on Google. And the thing is, Google or even like content on LinkedIn, a lot of career coaches... Yes, even if they do have an HR background, they know the ins and outs, they all work differently, right? So if you are grabbing some advice from this person, then advice from this person, you don't really have a cohesive strategy because you're going all over the place. In the way, they're trying to find the silver bullet. So they try something here. Oh, it doesn't work. Let me try something else here. And like, it's a lot of information overload. And we don't have a cohesive strategy and you just have a bunch of information. It tends to not work well, right? You're right. It's the jungle. <laughs> but also, I would say for newcomers or immigration, there are also associations. There are programs to help immigrants as well. And there are programs that help people for free. It may not be a personalized support, but there are associations that are going to help people to start knowing to understand how things work. And it doesn't have to be because Canada is a country that you know, attract a lot of immigrants. It's part of their growth strategy, even if the immigration things are very complex as well. It's a different story, but there are a lot of resources for newcomers as well. It depends on your personal situation and how you want to work, but I want to say that there are some help. Yeah, there's a lot of nonprofit government-funded organizations in Canada that do help newcomers land opportunities, right? Absolutely. And What's your thoughts on working with a recruitment agency instead of going through the standard applying online to 
a company's job opening. Do you think going through the agency route would be a good alternative? Yes, I very often talk to my clients about a passive search and an active search. And I think placement agencies should be part of your strategy. But what I say to my clients is you have agencies that are probably, if you're a bilingual, just going to call you for customer service, even if it's not what you're looking for, and you may not have a good candidate experience, and they just need to be prepared for that. However, there are also a lot of placement that are boutique type of agencies who really put the emphasis on the experience to really get to understand who the person is so then they can sell the skills and the knowledge to their clients. Because sometimes we are bad. We don't know how to sell ourselves. We don't know how to talk about ourselves. But there are people who actually do that for us very, very well. And so definitely it should be part of the strategy, but people need to be ready that they may have a bad experience or they may have a good experience. And I had both as a candidate myself 15 years ago. My first line was bilingual French and English. And the recruiter asked me, so you're bilingual. Which language do you speak? I was like, what? <laughs> what? It's the first line on my resume. <laughs> it's, it's, and you know what happens? It's terrible, but... I had such a bad experience as a candidate that I promised myself as an HR professional, I would never hire this agency or I would never work with this guy. And I promised you when he reached out to me because he probably did not remember me. When he reached out for business, I never said yes because I didn't want anyone to experience that as a candidate. I know, I mean, sorry, personal revenge. But you have to treat people with respect. And I, I was like, you are wasting my time right now. So. I had bad experiences too when I was a new grad looking for my first job working with these external agencies. A quick story. So I applied to this position that was posted by an agency and then they wanted to bring me in for an interview, right? So I go into their office and she was basically trying to put my information in a database. And then at the end of like the quick Q&A, she told me that the position was already filled and she let me know for other opportunities. So I was pissed off. I was like, you made me go. I didn't drive at the time, right? So I had to bus it. So that's even twice or three times as long. So I had to take public transit to go to this interview for a job that didn't exist uh, just so she could fill her quota, so to speak, and put my information in the database. And that was one of the worst recruitment agency experiences I've ever had. You know, why placement agencies are important is because they also have access to the hidden jobs in a sense that a lot of companies have confidential search. And so they hire placement agencies to fill the role for them. So the name of the company is not advertised. And that's why it's important to be able to have them as a strategy. But your experience, I'm sorry, you had to go through that. We can talk also about ghosting. Ghosting? Ghosting. <laughs> yeah, on LinkedIn, a popular post is people would rather hear a rejection getting ghosted, right? I think we already explained like, why ghosting happens is in terms of feedback, they can't give feedback to like litigation or legal reasons, right? For example, the candidate might not take it well and they might think it's discriminatory and it could be open to a lawsuit, right? And then the other aspect that you already touched upon is that, again, recruiters are very busy, especially filling multiple positions at once, and they don't have time to get back to everyone, right? So sometimes they'll just send an automated message like later down the road once the position's been filled. So those are the two things we discussed in terms of ghosting. But what other aspects of ghosting would you want to share? No, but I mean, not giving feedback is okay. Like you don't have to give feedback, but if someone, if the position is filled or if you're not the successful candidate, I think it's important to just let them know. 
at least it's like you're going on a date and then the person disappears, but it doesn't work like that. This person gives you time. You give them time. Let's be friendly and respectful. No, but people need to know what happens. Sometimes they get an email two or three months later. It's because the recruiters, they go on the applicant tracking system. So the recruitment system or ATS. And then when they close the job in the system, because finally they sign with a candidate, then that's when they close the vacancy in the system. And then an automatic email is sent to everyone. But if people don't have an applicant tracking system, and if a candidate follow up, and you already know they are not going to be the successful candidate, I think it makes sense to just respond and say, thank you for your email. And I was going to reach out to you in a week from now. But yes, you are not going to go to the next round of interviews. I think it's about the companies talk a lot about reputation, about their brand. And I think Strategically speaking, a lot of companies are really trying to pay attention to the candidate experience. But again, depending on, you know, do they have enough recruiters to fulfill all their tasks or not, then very often this comes as a low priority. It's not that we don't want to do it. It's just like we are just like super busy and then we are sorry. So you've interviewed a lot of candidates when you were working in HR, right? So what are some common like interview mistakes that you've seen or experienced, regardless if they were international or not? That's a good question. <laughs> I probably had like a thousand, more than yeah, thousands of interviews. One thing is rambling, and people are not able to have a train of thoughts, and then you lose your audience. And so you lose the attention of the recruiter. That's the worst. If you lose the attention of the recruiter, they are not going to remember. Like if you don't answer to the question, that's one of them. And so that's why interview prep really helps because you make sure that the answer is structured. When you have people, they are here and really they are not prepared. Like they are kind of here because I don't know, you invited them and you feel like they're not very motivated. That's a big no-no. What is a big red flag during an interview? You know, when you have conducted many, 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 many interviews, you can feel people. And it happens a few times where, you know, a candidate goes through 10 interviews. Yes, everyone needed to meet this guy. And one of the last person to meet the candidate And I'm the only one who says something is wrong, (laughs) but I don't know what, but something is wrong. And she goes, no, 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 no. And then, you know, you go through the reference process (laughs) and yes, there was something very wrong with the candidate. And I think sometimes you can't explain why you know something is wrong. I hate to say gut feeling because you want to have a fair process, but sometimes, you know, yeah, that's it. What would you say? What would you add to that? Because you don't think about the red flags during an interview, but not being prepared or not showing a lot of interest, rambling. Um, You know, I had someone who cried during an interview, but she got the job and she's still there. People get very stressed out. And so I think your role, if you're a good HR professional or a good hiring manager, is to listen and not to make judgment. I had a client who was going, another client, a candidate who was going through a huge burnout. And energetically speaking, you could feel like the burden, the burden of our current job. And my role was actually to see the potential. And I saw the potential and I was able to sell 
the candidate to the hiring manager and explain how wonderful this person was. It took a little bit of a convincing, but 10 years later, she's still there. So all good. Well, that's awesome. And it's good you uh, kept in touch with her all these years. Going back to the immigrant conversation, one of the main struggles that immigrants have is the lack of Canadian experience. So I know a couple of professionals and when they were doing interviews, one of the things that the recruiter would say was that they want someone that has Canadian experience or you don't have a lot of Canadian experience. So it's very tough for them to break through. And usually how they break through is through networking. But what is some other advice that you could help these immigrants who have that lack of Canadian or American experience, like hinder them from getting the job they want here? So you said at the beginning of the question that some of your friends had that feedback from employers? Yes. Some of the professionals I know told me that they have struggled in the interview because they want someone with more Canadian experience or they have no Canadian experience. So they want someone that actually has Canadian experience. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is a very common topic. I heard that very, very often. I mean, from people, but I never heard that in the corporate world. I never had a manager or a leader telling me we can't hire this person because she doesn't have the Canadian experience. Never. However, I believe people have unconscious biases and they would not verbalize the fact that it's because they don't have the Canadian experience. But if that is the case, and you're right, I invite people to do volunteering work. Why? Because it shows that you are adapting to the culture. It means you're able to communicate in English. It also shows that maybe your values or that you're supporting a cause. It can also help with networking. But I think once you have this, once you can show that you are integrating the community that helps with the trust because you are already understanding some of the standards or you are adapting to your new country or something like that, or you made, you were able to build relationship or trust with someone to hire you. I think also, you know, maybe to go to a school, if English is not that great yet, and there is a room for improvement, maybe to go to an English school to gain confidence. Because I think, again, when you're a newcomer, you have so many things to deal with and not everyone is kind. And some people may kill your confidence. And so going back to school and maybe uh, brush up a little bit, the English skills may give you this boost. And once you have the boost, it helps. Any type of meetups where you can meet new people, again, for networking, but also to have the social link or the social life and to give you a little bit of energy. Sounds stupid, but once you, you are not staying at home, looking at your screen, trying to look for a job, you feel more positive and you have some energy. And then when you show up to an interview or when you have this first opportunity, you know, you're a little bit more relaxed. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of like, how about like inter- salaries, right? Salary negotiation. Is that very prevalent in the countries that you have clients in? Or is it, again, more of a North American thing? I think it's more of a North American thing. I think money is less taboo. And a lot of my clients, they're not very comfortable to talk about their salary expectations. And also, I think the exercise is because the laws are very different. It's actually not very comparable because the way you pay your taxes or where your money is going is very, very different. You know, the employer taxes, everything is very different. So for them, it's not like comparable. They can't really look, compare an apple with an apple. 
So you, we have to help them to understand what is the total compensation package. You know, it's your salary, it's your bonus, it's your benefits, it's your pension, it's sick days, it's any perks, wellness. Difficult for them to grab the concept of what they are really going to earn and what it really means. And then I tell them to go on Glassdoor or Payscale, maybe Indeed sometimes you can find the information so then they can have a sense of how much to be paid based on their experience or years of experience, the market, the location, and then they can gauge where they could be. So for example, I had a client recently, manager level uh, in communication, well paid in France. She calls me and she says, it's going to be my first offer. It's 95K a year. I don't know if it's good. And I was like, I think it's actually very good for a first job. And it was for a bank. And so obviously all of the benefits were there as well. But then you would do the currency and you would maybe think it's not a lot or it's just. But for a first experience, I think, for your first job, in Canada, 95 was actually good. So I just reinsured her a little bit and explained, you know, I think that's a good point. It's like, you know, in Canada, companies are not afraid to give you an increase. They are not afraid to give you five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars more. And it doesn't have to be long before you get an increase. Well, in other countries, they are way more conservative and just for every year, you're just going to get two or three percent increase and that's it. And you're never going to see a big change. But between my first job and my last job, I tripled or quadrupled my salary. So, you know, people are not aware of that. I think the big difference as an HR professional is there is a big strategy for companies to attract and retain people. Because the laws allow you to do that. For sure. What's the biggest piece of advice that you can give a new immigrant listening to this podcast that is currently struggling with the job search process? What do you recommend that they do tomorrow to really change the outlook of their job search? It's a good question. I'm going to tell them to follow you on LinkedIn. I like your consistency and you give a lot of good tips. But I think it's everything that we mentioned. It's like, what is your strategy? Like, Take a piece of paper, look at what you've done, what has been working and what has not been working. Because looking for a job is a strategy, right? Okay, am I good at networking? Yes, no. Do I have traction? Yes, no. What I have been doing? Okay, so that doesn't work. Do I do my follow-ups? When I reach out to someone on LinkedIn, do I do my follow-ups? Because people are super busy, so they may not answer but it's not because they're ignoring me. It's because they're just busy. So I just need to do a follow-up. So look at that. Then again, look at your resume. Have you, are you sure you have the right format? You are putting the right information that you are not copying and pasting the responsibilities of the job description, but you do have the right jargon. If you apply to the same type of jobs, is it the same kind of words that you have to put in your resume? If you go to an interview, or if you haven't done an interview yet, do you have the good strategies? Do you use the STAR method? Do you rehearse by yourself out loud? Because when you speak out loud, you actually create new neuronal neural connections and it makes it more real for your brain. We have technology nowadays. Take your phone, you know, and look at yourself. And so you can have the feedback that no one is giving you because everyone is too kind and no one wants to hurt you. So be a critic for yourself and take your phone. Look at all of these pieces and analyze what works and what doesn't because we just gave a lot of information about job search process, but be confident. It's hard to be an immigrant. It's really, really hard. It's not a joke. You know, my first job, I was the one who was the least paid 
Well, I had a master's degree. I was bilingual. I had already experience compared with my coworkers. And the day I discovered that, it really, like, I did not understand why. And it's because I stayed there because my visa did not allow me to leave. <laughs> it's hard. It requires sacrifices. But I have clients who've been there for, were immigrants. They've been in Canada for seven, 10 years. And they struggle so much when they were looking for a job for the first time that they don't want to do that without any help. Like they want help because it could be very difficult. Sorry, it was a long answer. All good, all good. Yeah, again, the more information you can provide, the better, right? So I want to end this podcast episode with one last question for you. So as you're aware, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges to get them to the next level. So for you, what has been the biggest challenge for you, whether it's starting this business, whether it's you immigrating to Toronto, Canada, what was the biggest challenge that you had to face and what were the steps you took to overcome it to get to where you are today? I was not ready for that. <laughs> I think the biggest challenge I had was I struggled at some point with my visa and I'm very stubborn and I didn't want to leave. So what happened was I left my job because I was really not happy anymore and my mom was sick. So I had to go back to France. So I had resigned, went back to France. So it meant I left the country. I came back. And I had found another job and I had to go to the immigration to change the name of the company on my visa. And they actually decided to take away my visa and they gave me a tourist visa and they asked me to wait for my permanent residency. I think that was probably the worst experience because I had to call my new employer and I had to tell them that I was actually not allowed to work anymore. So I was very ashamed. And then I was in a situation where I was not allowed to work until I got my permanent residency. And why I say that is because, again, it requires a lot of resiliency and believing the process. But once I got my permanent residency, you know, I knew exactly how to look for a job and everything went super fast. But be surrounded by the right people. Have the right people around you. Find friends because you don't have your family very often when you're an immigrant. And so your friends become your family. And so you need to make sure that you have the right support. Make sure you have support when you are an immigrant. That's my thing, yeah. When you moved to Toronto, Canada, did you have any like family or like significant other or were you completely by yourself? I came all by myself. I didn't have an apartment. I didn't have a job. I didn't have friends. I didn't have an apartment. I just really came with my visa. Yeah. And it's obviously a very scary experience where you don't know a single person. So, and you also didn't know English that well at that point either, right? So what is some like advice in that regard to like help people be more acclimated in a new environment? Well, you know, 15 years ago, internet was not as good as now. I know things are very different. But again, the community, the holiday work permit that I had organized like parties for people to meet. And that's how I met my first friends. And then my first friends introduced me to other friends. Also, my first house, we were eight people. And in this house, there was at least one French guy and introduced me to a lot of other French people. Not that the goal was for me to meet French people while I was living in Toronto, but it gave me this security net. And these people are still my friends 15 years later. But it's uh, really meet people, go outside and meet international people, not only people from your community. Yeah, I think the common thread here is that when it comes to the obstacles you face, whether it's personal or professional, having a good support social network really helps you overcome these obstacles and improves your mental health when you're currently struggling with uh, different aspects of your life. Yes. Angelina, I really appreciate you coming on to discuss how we can help immigrants streamline their job search process to get the job they want. How can people contact you and connect with you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? 
Thank you. They can find me on Instagram under can, like Canada, C-A-N dot link, because we want to link dot people. So can link people. They can find me on Instagram. They would find me under Angelina Spadaro on LinkedIn. They can go on my website, www.canlinkpeople.com. We talked a lot the resume. They can steal my Canadian resume template. It's in French and in English with some tips and concrete examples. So that's going to help them to be inspired on how to write their own resume. Uh, yeah, they can reach out to me on all these platforms. Sounds good. I uh, appreciate the time and have a great Canada Day. Thank you, you too. Thank you so much for having me. Like, I really, really appreciate. And if I can just say something, you know, it's about networking. We talked about networking. And so I appreciate that you opened the door of your podcast to me while we offer the same services. People are not always open. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm super grateful. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.